the last confirmed sighting of the native Huia was in 1907, and next to the moor, it's perhaps our most iconic extinct bird. So how is it that two taxidermied huia are currently up for auction in the UK? The pair of stuffed birds are set to go under the hammer in September through tenants auctioneers, and they are expected to sell for between 15 and 25,000 pounds. We're interested in the rights and wrongs of this, and in fact how common this kind of thing is. We're joined by Wikipedian and former natural history, uh, history curator Mike Dickerson. Hi, Mike. Kia ora, Jesse. How's it going? Yeah, good. Nice to talk to you again. Mike does some great work on our Critter of the Week Wikipedia entries as well. Always keen to point that out, the, uh, the, um, the wheel behind the machine. And, um, Mike, <laughs> what is your reaction when you see an auction listing like this? Well, from a museum curator point of view, I look at the photos and I think, oh, yep, another few, another few who are up for auction. These look like quite nice, clean specimens. Can't see if they have all their tail feathers. Um, they should have 12, but most specimens in museum storage in New Zealand don't have a full set of tail feathers. Um, it's not uncommon for this sort of thing to pop up. In, 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 unfortunately, this will become rarer and rarer because these were birds that were shot in probably the late 19th century and like many, many hundreds, possibly thousands, sent overseas, uh, mostly not to museums, but to uh, be ornaments on people's mantelpieces. So they're mounted, and you mean your listeners can't see what I'm, the photo I'm looking at, but it looks unbearably naff. They're mounted in a sort of a glass case with brightly coloured stones and background and three hummingbirds from South America um, um, positioned next to them. So it's all a bit grotesque, but the Victorians liked this sort of thing. So there was always a good market for a pair of, of rare birds to uh, as a talking point for your lounge. Yeah. So these things, they fall apart eventually. I mean, the problem is keeping Huya in your lounge and unair conditioned, you know, um, no fumigation every year or anything like that, they'll just start to rot and fall apart and get moth-eaten and gradually people throw them out. So these are these look like um, fairly nicely preserved specimens. But, uh, you know, there's only a finite number of mounted hoya, and they're going to be less and less every year. Even museums can't keep them um, going forever. So... So you've outlined some of the practical difficulties there, but what about the ethical ethical difficulties? How should we feel about an extinct yeah. native New Zealand or endemic New Zealand bird uh, being auctioned in a different country on the other side of the world? Yeah, I mean, I guess the point at the time at which we would have, should have been outraged was any time after 1892 when <laughs> they were actually made illegal to hunt. You know, they were legally one of the first New Zealand birds to be protected by law was the huia. Um, the Governor-General Onslow at the time, who named when his kid Huya, you know, uh, hmm. made sure that this, this legal protection was set in place. And it didn't stop New Zealanders from racing out and shooting thousands of them. Um, there were, it was big bucks. You know, you would get a, about a pound each for a Huya feather, 12 feathers on a bird. Average salary at the time was about 100 pounds. Gosh. So, you know, money to be made and, and stuff the law. So, you know, we, we don't have a, much of a moral high ground to take on this case. Uh, at the same time, we were busy chopping down all the forests that the Huia lived in, and we had introduced pests and such like, of course, that were munching through their eggs. So it's amazing they lasted as long as they did. 
Um, and yeah, most of those were sent overseas, but large numbers also in New Zealand parlours. Um, and that's where most of the museum collections in New Zealand, there's about 100 and 150 hoya in museums in New Zealand. Most of those were not collected for museums. They're um, battered old hoya that have been sitting on someone's mantelpiece and eventually get donated to the museum. And there are a couple of hundred more in museums uh, overseas and an unknown number like these ones that are in private, been in private hands. So yes, they'll, they'll come up for trade, but you know, you know, Jesse, that I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Moabone trade mm. at the moment, and that really should be regulated. But unfortunately, I mean, there's no more huia to go out and collect. So a trade in them is not actually doing the species any harm. Um, mm. It would be nice if these sorts of things went to an institution where we can be sure they'll actually be kept in like a climate controlled space and um, treated for insect infestation and whatnot. So they might last another 100 years, maybe 200 at the most. Um, but we are just delaying the inevitable. So I'm sort of philosophical when I see these things popping up. I think, oh, yes, there's going, they're going to change, the, change hands from time to time. But, you know, this will become increasingly rare. Uh, could, whether could we have a moral right to say we should be bringing them back to New Zealand, well, you know, we should have probably got started getting guiltier a bit earlier on, then maybe there'd still be Huia hopping around today. Yeah, but you and me weren't round in uh, the late 1800s, Mike. We are doing yeah. what we can now. And, and what about the argument yeah, yeah, yeah. that this is, this is a bird that was considered tapu by Māori? It's um, arguably a tongue of New Zealand, and, and, and there is kind of – that is reason enough to bring it home. Yeah, um, we could we could make an argument for the repatriation of all New Zealand birds in overseas collections. Um, and to be fair, you know, the the the, the um, huia tail feathers were and are considered a taonga by Māori, but most of the huia that were hunted were hunted by Māori for tail feathers um, in the eighteen nineties. Possibly even these specimens, most of the Māori, most of the hunting parties sent out to collect huia were Māori. So these were enthusiastically wiped out by people um, uh, in a very short space of time. Um, uh, whether they should come back, well, yeah, we, we could make that case. There are, however, museum collections in New Zealand um, of huia, not on display, lots of huia in storage already. Um, if we could guarantee that these birds would be looked after and housed and, and preserved into the next you know, few generations, that would be nice. We've also got to look at our own collections as well and make sure that they're similarly safe and there's plenty of huia in private hands here or in small regional museums that don't really have climate-controlled storage. We can look to our own backyard and start worrying about those first before we start telling folks overseas to send <laughs> these huia back to us. Right. And I suppose there would be other countries overseas that might be looking at some of our collections and saying, hey, well, if you're going to take your huia back, we wouldn't mind mm. grabbing that, thanks. Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a nice badger from the United Kingdom in uh, the collection of the Wanganui Regional Museum. I suppose we should send that back to England. Um, yeah, it's, it it's all becomes a bit fraught when you start talking about the repatriation of natural history specimens backwards and forwards across the globe. And in some cases, there really are things that perhaps should be back in New Zealand collections. A lot of the species of New Zealand were sent to the British Museum, where they still stay, and from which our, all our native species were named and described. It would be lovely if New Zealand scientists had access to those collections here in New Zealand, not have to go to London to see them. 
So there are sorts of vestiges of imperialism going on there. But, you know, the amount of New Zealand um, stuff that was exported, both, you know, specimens and live stuff too, you know, half the garden plants, it seems, in Britain are from New Zealand now. Um, we're, we're opening up an enormous debate if we want to try and move everything back to the country that it came from, from all over the world. And, uh, yeah, then uh, I suppose the people of, good people of Monterey, um, the Native, Native Americans of California would probably want to get all the uh, radiata pines back that we stole from them and didn't compensate them adequately for their intellectual and biodiversity property. Um, since that's the foundation of New Zealand forest industry, probably owe them quite a bit in royalties. So um, we, may, we may not want to pull this thread too much longer, okay. I think, Jesse. Mike, a final word on what made the huia special, uh, apart from it being round no longer, there was something special about this bird. Yeah, the males and females had the, um, possibly the most distinctively different beaks of any bird species. Um, long probing beaks in the females, short stubby beaks for breaking open logs in the males. And the romantic idea is that they would always go around in pairs. The males would break open the logs, the females would pick the grubs out. doesn't seem to be quite as romantic as that, but it's certainly a way that the two birds could avoid competing with each other. And, and as anyone knows, you know, the secret to a happy marriage is maybe that sort of demarcation of roles as well, so you don't get an tread on each other's toes. So the Huia seem to have figured that out long ago. I have to ask, because a lot of people are asking me, can you and would you use genetic material to bring the huia back with genetic engineering? It's, if there was a way that we could snap our fingers and huia would come back to life and we had a nice safe forest to put them in, of course we'd do that. Can we? No. There's no way. There's not even a close relative of huia if we even could extract the complete DNA we couldn't stick it in a, a corkakal egg or something and hope that huia chicks would hatch out. Um, I think it's very comforting to think that one day all our mistakes will be undone through sufficiently advanced science, but that just is a way of delaying confronting the fact that we have probably irredeemably damaged parts of the natural world. But we're also doing that right now. Species are going extinct, as you know, right under our noses, even in New Zealand. Um, and maybe that's where all of our research funding and time should be being poured into rather than to resurrect something that probably can never be brought back. Hmm. Yeah, probably take less effort to save one from going extinct than to bring an extinct one back. It's a lot cheaper, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Great to talk to you as always. No worries, Jesse. Mike Dickerson, Wikipedian and former natural history curator on how we should feel about who you're going up for auction in the UK.